Today we'll continue our series in Matthew. For those of you who are newer here, um, or this is your first time here, it is not normal that I play music and preach. I'm thankful that uh, normally we have Brad that can do that for us. He's out today. We want to continue our study in the book of Matthew. We've learned that Jesus is the coming king. That has been granted all authority by the Father, has made us his emissaries to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Have you heard that before? Now, if you've been here for our entire series, like, why do you keep saying that same thing over and over again? Repetition is the mother of all learning. So I'm trying to tattoo that thought into your brain. If it helps you to get a tattoo, make sure it's really small. That way, uh, it's not embarrassing later if it stretches out. Today, we will pick up on chapter 14. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. What are some things that are for you that you feel like, these, this is necessary for me to live? I'm not talking about air or water, but maybe creature comforts or something around your home, like, man, I need that. I guarantee if we went to your house today and saw the snacks or treats that are in your home, there are some things that are going to be there every week. You will always find at least if you don't, it's a travesty at our home if we don't find a bag of Cheez-Its in our pantry. And right now, Welch's fruit snacks that just, we can't, can't get enough of them. There's some things that maybe it's like, man, I, I need that. Or perhaps there's something after a, a rough week, there's your go-to. This is what I got to go do. Or celeb- celebration. Every time this happens, I got to do this. It's just, it's part, part of who I am. It's part of what I do. After my wife had our three children, and I was going home to get stuff from the hospital, I'd always stop at Wendy's and get a Baconator. It's like, meat man, eat a big sandwich, lots of meat on it, right? Had child. <laughs> right, so it's, yeah, I don't know why. Jesus blessed us with a force somehow miraculously. Guess where I'd go afterwards? Wendy's, I don't know, just. But what's necessary for you to live? There's something, you just, I just gotta have that. I'm gonna make it through the week, I gotta have that. What is it? What do you think Jesus needed? The Son of God. What was necessary for him? That's an odd question. Because he's fully God and fully man. What does he need? What's necessary for him? We'll see that in our text today. And today we will see in, in Matthew 14 that even though Jesus is king over everything, and he is king over everything, he still deems it necessary to spend time with his father. First, we'll start in Matthew 14, 1 through 21. We'll see that there are two stories or two, that begin with two rulers and two meals. So in our first point here, two rulers and two meals. We're going to see two different rulers, two different meals. Starts in verse number one. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Who is Herod? What's a Tetrarch? Herod is, this is Herod Antipas. You have to try to keep some of this straight. And so Herod Antipas, a lot of different people. They have Herod. We're going to see Herod. You're going to see Philip in here, which his name is actually Herod Philip. We're going to see Herodias, Herodias. All were related to the great King Herod. All were related. Two of them were sons, and one was, I believe, if I'm following this correctly, because they're ants, however it works out, they're all related. All of them are related. I don't have the family tree up here. I could pull it up. It's extensive. They're all related. But this is Herod Antipas. He's a tetrarch. Tetrarch just means the government at that time decided he could rule one-fourth of a region. 
So it's like taking the state of Virginia, splitting it up into four areas, and saying you get one-fourth of that. Does that make sense? So he's here, the Tetrarch, and he said to his servants, verse 2, this is John the Baptist. So he's hearing all Jesus is doing. This, he goes, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had, and now Matthew's going to take us back. Why would he say this? We didn't know John the Baptist has died. He's going to give us information here. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Now, let me pause. There's a lot going on here historically. A lot. And so if you were to read history of this period and this time, you're going to read about Herod Antipas, Herodias, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas' first wife, Phasael, 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 that's what it is, I think. Phasael, the princess of the Nabataeans. And, and, and it led to, it's like playing out in history like the Jerry Springer show. It's just bad family drama, like bad. And you got incest, you got adultery, it's like weird bad. And all this is happening. So this historically led to a war against the Nabataeans were ticked off at what Herod Antipas did by divorcing his daughter, the princess, to marry his brother's wife or to live with his brother's wife and then later marry her. It's a mess, historically. Just FYI, if you're here and you're wondering, is this all true? These are historical people that we're talking about, real people. Jesus lived at this time. So Matthew's just recording actual events. So besides all that, John the Baptist is not dealing with the government side. He's dealing with the moral side. Herod, what you're doing is wrong. As far as we know, this is at the beginning stage of all of this. Um, historically, it took place somewhere between 32 and 34 is when the war with the Nabataeans took place. And so here you have 30, 32 to 34 AD. So towards the beginning of this time, John the Baptist confronts Herod, and it seems that Herod Antipas is living with, at that time, his brother's wife, Herodias, without even divorce having taken place. It's a mess. He confronts him. Says, that's a, that's a big no-no. This is, uh, the biblical word for this is icky. It's not good. That's the ruler. And we'll compare him to a ruler later. Next, we see the meal. Look at verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, they decided to have this feast. The daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Because of the oaths and guests he commanded it to be given, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Herod the ruler tosses himself a, a birthday party, and they have this meal, and they have this dancing. As far as we know, it seems historically this would have been a, a lewd dance. He tells his daughter that pleased the men that, hey, you can have whatever you want up to half my kingdom, although it wasn't his to give because he's not the emperor. But what do you want? She goes back to mom, and mom is sick and tired of hearing John the Baptist run his yap about how bad they are. All he keeps talking about is our incestuous, adulterous relationship. And so she says, 
off his head. And so this happens. So it takes place. And it makes you wonder, what if John just would have stayed silent? There are times where maybe you've, you've been faced with this, maybe at your job. If I say something, I could lose my job. Or maybe with a friend or a peer, if I say something, I may lose their friendship. I know it's right, but yeah, I don't know about it. The cost seems too great. What if he just would have just been like, nah, mum's the word. One author said of John's boldness, it cost John his head. But it's better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. Christian, we are called to speak the truth in love. They have to go together. Sometimes we can speak the truth not in love and it doesn't go well. Sometimes we could, because we love them, decide we're not going to speak the truth and that doesn't go well. But they have to go together. We have to speak the truth in love regardless of what may come. That will cost us. It will. It'll cost us. But what we say and how we say it are equally important. Christians speak the truth in love. That's one ruler and that's one meal. Now let's see another ruler and another meal. Look at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds. He withdraws. We'll see Christ doing this again in verse 23 at the end of chapter 13, which we covered. And a lot of stuff happened in 12 and 13 over a one-day period. He was in Nazareth at the end of chapter 13. If you know anything about your Bible maps, Nazareth is not close to water. So where is he now? You'll see in our slide here in Luke 9, 10, he tells us that this took place in Bethsaida. So this would have been the Sea of Galilee. It's been on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This is, at this point, this is the Bethsaida Vista. It's my wife and I got to be there. You can take this picture. This is three, three and a half miles away from the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Somewhere in this spot is where Jesus would have landed. And he would have gone up later on. We'll see on the mountain, very, very well could be this very spot where we're standing, where he went up later on to pray. But so he's here in this spot. And the crowds heard it, and they followed him on foot from the towns. And while he went ashore, a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus has a plan. I'm trying to withdraw. And as he's trying to get away, the people keep following him wherever he's going, which, which makes sense. It even happens in our day and age. So if Taylor Swift visited Lexington, the city would shut down. It would shut down. That's just to see her. She can't heal you. Her thongs heal my soul. Oh, please, get over it. (laughs) Right? She can't heal you. She can't save you. But Jesus could. So imagine the pandemonium if your relative was sick. Just to get him there. Get them there. Maybe he would. Maybe he will. It's been told he can Jesus sees the crowds, even though he's trying to withdraw, and he has, what's the word? What's the attribute given to Christ in verse 14? Compassion. It's to the core. He's moved to his core by seeing them. Let me pause my plan of getting, trying to withdraw. 
pause button here. I, I love these people. Let me help. He can't go on without helping them. Now verse 15, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples, it seems, have the people's good as, as at the forefront of their mind. Hey, send the people away so they can get food. It's, hey, it's, it's past supper time. You probably hear people's stomachs grumbling and their disciples' stomachs are, hey, we, uh, we're, we're fasting not by choice. Let's, let's um, maybe send them away. Let's let them get some food. We'll get some food. You can get some rest. But Jesus, in verse 16, says, but Jesus said, they, they need not go away. You, you give them something to eat. I want you to focus on two words in verse 16. The first word, need. Look at that first word. They need not go away. Jesus contradicts them. They don't need to go away. Now put yourself in the sandals of the disciples. You're confused. What, what do you mean they, they, they got to get... They gotta, get, they gotta get food. We need food, right? So, what do you mean they don't need to go away? But what have the disciples forgotten? Something pretty key. It's a key element that they're forgetting, and they're forgetting something very, very important. In fact, if we're honest, we make the same mistake and we forget the same crucial truth. Here they are surrounding the creator, the giver of life. And they're saying the people need to go away from the creator and give of life to find sustenance. Process that. They were forgetting who they're with. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals. You see the people, you've had compassion on them, you know they have a need, and the types are, send them away. From who? You're gonna send them away from me? You kidding me? They don't need to go away from me. I am what they need. Christian, when the Lord is with us, we have all we need. When the Lord is with us, we have all we need. The next key word. Well, let me, let me quote to you Philippians 4.19. I forgot to do this. My, what does Paul say about this later on? My God shall supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When the Lord is with us, we have all we need. Praise God, he promises you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So he's always with you. So what's your conclusion? I then have, if I have Jesus, I have all I need. My wife and I were talking about this this week in, in, in my lack of faith. Times and things that we've talked about in our own home, things that how, how's this going to get done? How's that? What about all this stuff? And going, and I, I forget. I have all I need. What are we chatting about? Should I not go to the creator of life? 
He has all I need. The next key word I want you to focus in on is, is give. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And actually, it's better if I, I said it correctly. It's a command. He didn't say it. He commanded it. This is an, an imperative. You, you must give them something to eat. You do it. Now, if I asked you, Mama Bear, I would like you, in fact, not a request, you must feed everyone next month for first Sunday lunch. Your family may leave the church, right? Who is he to tell me what to do? I don't know how are we going to feed all these people. Hope they like mac and cheese. The box kind, right? This is, that's for 300 people. What are you, 5,000, not counting kids and, and women? Like, what, what are you talking about? Who's feeding 10,000 people? 2,000 years ago. How many, how many mud cake ovens can you have? Like, for crying out loud, what are you, you going to be baking? You give them something to eat. Christian Jesus will not ask us to do anything that he will not empower us to do. Repeat that. It's another principle. Right? When the Lord is with us, we have all we need. The next one, Jesus will not ask us to do anything he will not empower us to do. If you're trying to furiously write these down, it's inside the Bible app. You can see it inside the notes there if you want to write these down later on. But Jesus will not ask us to do anything he will not empower us to do. You're saying so like, do you think he, he could have? That you think he would have? somehow done a miracle through them that they would have said, well, we got, here's what we got. Let's go. That sounds, doesn't even seem plausible. And yet he commands Moses, put your stick over the Red Sea and walk on dry ground. How plausible does that seem to you? But what does Moses do? Ooh. He tells Moses, take your stick, hit the rock, and give people water. Here we go. It's crazy talk. But if you would obey, it's amazing to see how God can work. Because he will not ask you to do anything that he will not empower you to do. So when he says, go make disciples of all the nations, what is he telling you? I'll, I'll be with you. I'll help you. Does he not tell you that? For lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. All authority, all power has been given to me. Now go do this, and I'm going to help you do it. Christian, Jesus will not ask you to do anything that he will not empower us to do. The disciples balk at this. They, hey, <laughs> I don't know. If I, yeah. We, can, we can't feed ourselves with this. Look at verse 17. They said, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And there's one, two, three, and five. If I can count right, there's 12 disciples and there's you. There's 13. We got slim pickings as it is. And he says, bring them here to me. They only see the what. They have forgotten the who. This is what we have, not who we have. And at that same time, here's another valuable lesson. Jesus does not ask them to give more than they have. Do you realize that? 
Jesus does not ask them to give more than they have. He, he didn't say, they're like, we only got five loaves and two fishes. He's like, what, what do you want me to do? What kind of miracle worker do you think I am? Go find some more. He doesn't do that. What you have, Christian, look at me, what you have is enough. Jesus will not ask you to give more than you have. But he does ask us to give all we have. When you come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as your Savior and you ask him for forgiveness, Jesus, save me. What do we give him? Our good works? Nope. Our, dirt, our good works account as filthy rags. What can you give him? Uh, give him my, my life. I, what, what do you want? All I have, it's yours. I have nothing. Save me. That'll do. That'll do. Come on. He will not ask you to give more than you have, but he does require us to give are all. Christian, what do you have? What gifts and abilities has God blessed you with? Use them for him. Verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves of fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they ate all and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full. That's an odd number, isn't it? It's kind of an odd. Like, who writes that down? And why 12? It's interesting. 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate, about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's been a crazy scene. Crazy scene. Like we struggle to get through first Sunday lunch and still have Kenny's chicken left back there, right? Once those, man, I'm not trying to point out the view of my cadets, but man, when those college boys get through there, they eat the fatted calf and we don't have the bones left over. And I understand, I understand. I remember being a college guy, so I'm not giving you a hard time. Right, it, we don't have baskets left over, Kenny's chicken. We certainly don't have their biscuits, crying out loud. But he, he had, this is crazy. 5,000? He's feeding 5,000 plus women and children besides that? But here is the long awaited Messiah. Here is the son of David, the long awaited Messiah, feeding Israel, the 12 tribes, in the promised land. And providentially, not only can he feed them all, there's enough to feed more, specifically, 12 more. Like 12 tribes. Like, I'll feed all Israel with abundance above and beyond. When I give, I give. When I bless, I bless. And what does Jesus feed them? Bread and fish. Can, can you think of a time where the people of Israel, the 12 tribes, can you think of a time where, where they were in a desolate place and they needed food? And God provided them with bread. Can you think of a time they're in the wilderness, and there the 12 tribes are, and they're grumbling, complaining for food in Exodus 15 and 16. And God provides bread. Who provides bread? He gave his name in Exodus 3, the great I am. 
And you're going to see that name later in this chapter. But the great I Am provides the people of Israel with bread. That's after he led them through, right, the water on dry ground. They're walking, as it seems, on water. They're getting through. They're, they're getting through this path. They get through the Red Sea. God feeds them. The great I Am feeds them. This is an amazing scene. Here the king not only provides for the 12 tribes of Israel, but he feeds them with abundance left over. What a, what a king. But compare now these two rulers and these two meals. C- compare Herod Antipas and his little birthday feast versus Christ the king feeding the 5,000. There's no comparison. Here lies two choices. The way of the world, a party full of debauchery where poor decisions are made and guilt and shame are left. That's your leftovers, guilt and shame. There's the way of the world and the way of Christ where you stand in the presence of God. You are fed by him and you are sustained. No remorse, no shame, no guilt. No regret. Jesus is king over everything. He's king over everything. Next we see solitude, sea, and sovereignty. Our next point here, solitude, sea, and sovereignty. Look at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So if you saw that picture, can you go back to that picture, Jeff? Sorry, just for a second. Can you go back to that picture? So straight across. If you see where that first middle flower is, almost straight across. All right, you can go to the next one. Thank you, buddy. Straight across, they're going to the other side. Over to Gennesar, which um, you can look that up now and Google Maps. But they're going to cross immediately after Jesus, after this miraculous meal, Jesus sends disciples and the crowds away. Right, he says in verse 22, immediately the disciples get into the boat while he dismissed the crowds in John 6, 15. Where, so this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's very important. But in John 6, we learn in context, Jesus realized, hey, John the Baptist has been slain by Herod the Tetrarch. And so people, right, he's a prophet. People are starting to get, hey, what's going on? Jesus is feeding the five, the Messiah is feeding the 5,000. He's feeding God's people in the wilderness with bread. And they're starting to put two and two together. And so John 6, 15, realized they're thinking, we need to make him king. Just grab him and let's roll. Let's go. I'm, been, I'm done with these Romans. Jesus realizing this because the people aren't catching on. Yes, I am the Messiah, but I must die for your sins first. I have a path. He is currently at this time. The Passover is just getting ready to get started in John 6 before the feeding of the 5,000. The Passover is at hand. He's one year away from his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not my time for that yet. The path before me it's a way of suffering. I have to be the Isaiah servant, the suffering servant. I have to die for your sins before we can get into all that ruling and reigning stuff. And so Jesus, in verse 23, finally gets away. But for what purpose will he get away? Look at verse 23. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Even though Jesus is king over everything, he still deems it necessary to spend time with the Father. 
He's king over everything. But what does it say? He, when even he came, right, he, he went to the mountain by himself to pray. He came there, and he went there alone. This is necessary for him. I have to get alone. I have to be with my father. Christian, if Jesus needs to get alone with the father, how much more do you and I? He's fully God and fully man. But I can't go without communion with my father. I can't do it. So he went up on the mountain to pray. Even in the busyness of life, we have ample opportunity to do this, don't we? Especially here. He went up where? On a physical mountain to pray. Like, are there any mountains close by? I mean, we live in the Blue Ridge. This week, I was reading this. So we had kids that were down. We had, you know, sick, sick, and then I got sick and sitting home, and, you know, it's just that time of year. That's why we make sure we do greeting guests and friends, and everybody on the way out give Walt Baker a holy kiss. Um, just kidding, Walt. <laughs> but it's like, we, we have all, you know, sickness is going around, that's it. And I'm sitting at home, and, and I have just this low-grade fever. I'm not going to the office today, and, and I'm reading this, studying for Sunday, and I'm like, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, right? We're supposed to be like Jesus. I'm like, man, maybe I should go up on the mountain to pray. So I text my wife, hey, I'm, I might hit the Blue Ridge Parkway. Just drive around, see the mountains, and spend time praying. She thought, like, life was ending. She's like, what, what do you do? Because she knows I'm not, an out, I'm not outdoorsy. And I'm not, uh, I don't really do this a lot. So she's like, what's going on? What's wrong? I was like, no, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, he, he went along. He, he decided to pray. I thought maybe I'd try to do the same thing. It's, it was beyond good for my soul. Looking over creation and talking to the creator. Christian, and maybe for you, you don't need to get away to a mountain. Maybe you just need to get away to a closet. But I promise you, you need to get away. If Jesus had to get away from the crowds, the people he loved, if he even sends his disciples away, the ones he cared for dearly, because he had to spend time with the Father, so do you and I. I asked you earlier, what do you believe is necessary for life? Is spending time with the Father necessary? For Jesus, it was. Now, before we move on, I'm going to go back to verse 22 because Jesus made the disciples go where? In a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, look at verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Have you ever been on a large body of water in a bad storm, like bad storm, where you thought, this might go down. This ship might go down. You ever, you ever been in one of those moments? My wife and I, we, we lived in Guam, and we were on a mission trip. We were in this little island of Yap. Try to find Yap on a, on a map. Good luck. Little tiny island in the Pacific called Yap with these two missionaries. Um, knuckleheads. Love the guys, man, but they're knuckleheads. So we're out trying to catch fish that they were going to use these fish to help feed some of the poor and hungry in their town and use that to share the gospel. So we're going out trying to catch fish. We have this 20-some foot boat. We get out past the reef and we're catching fish. It's amazing. We catch fish. They'd stop right there and pray, Lord, thank you for allowing us to catch this fish. Help us use it for ministry. And they go back through again. So we're catching fish. All of a sudden you see like this storm coming. And you can if you've ever been on the ocean, you can see it. Here it comes. 
And we're in this 20-some foot boat. There's no top, no nothing. It's just, just a boat. And there's three of us, and all of a sudden, it, it gets bad, like bad, bad. While we're catching fish, half the fish we were trying to catch were, were gone because of there's sharks there. They keep taking the food off. So we're outside the reef. Sharks are taking our food. And now the storms start coming, and the waves start going higher than our boat is high and then higher than our boat is long, and then we're trying to turn into the waves, and you're getting up, and wham, you're slamming down on the water, wham, slamming down on the water. These two missionaries are in the front, and you're yelling back and forth, do you see the reef? Do you see the reef? I can't see it. You, we can't see anything. Just, just blinded by the water. And I'm in the back, sitting on this cooler, thinking, I'm going to die with these two morons. <laughs> going, what is happening right now? And all of a sudden, the storm ended up stopping, and we're just like, praise God, like, let's get home, get me out of this boat, this tin can. What are we doing out here? Which reemphasizes why, again, I'm not outdoorsy. But we're sitting there going, hey, what is, what's happening? You're in a storm. I went out there volitionally. I went because I thought, hey, they're trying to do this for ministry, let's go out. Jesus commanded the disciples to go. Now let me ask you, Christian. Is Jesus fully God? Yeah. Is he omniscient? Mm -hmm. Does he know about the weather? Yeah. Isn't he the creator? Colossians 1, he holds the whole world by the power of his word. Yeah. So he sent them in the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee knowing the storm would hit? What's the answer? Yes. Time, time out, time out. No, 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 I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. You're telling me Jesus sent them into the storm by themselves? I mean, last time, he was in the ship with them. Earlier in Matthew. He was in the ship. He could calm the storm. This time, he's not around. Christian, the way is narrow. And it is hard. And we go through times of testing James talks about this, doesn't he? The half-brother of Christ, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials can produce growth. They can produce growth. They won't always produce growth. Depends on how you respond as you think back in your life, so you may, you may not say, I don't like this, man, because you're telling me that some of the stuff I'm going through, some of the trials that I'm going through, may, Jesus knows about all this stuff. Yeah, he does. Some things we bring on ourselves, right? When we make poor choices, we bring that on ourselves. Sometimes it's just life, and we live in a fallen, broken world, but the sovereign one of all, the sovereign king, he knows, he allows. Look back at Job. He allowed, some of the, he allowed that. Why? Well, when you think back to your life, think of your teachers, favorite teachers. 
your, some of your favorite relatives and mentors, bosses that have helped you become who you are, some of your favorite coaches, did they demand little of you or a lot? My favorite coach of all time was my JV coach, Mr. Richie. I would run through a wall for that dude. Wasn't high school, wasn't college, it was Mr. Richie. Nobody demanded more of me than him. And I don't know that I ever got better. So I got better as years went on, but nobody got the most out of me than he did. Think of your teachers. Again, mentors and bosses, they're trying to push you, be better, but that t often means it's going to be hard. If you're trying to become a stronger person, does that mean no weight or more weight? More weight. Well, I don't like more weight. Then you don't expect to get stronger. I don't like weight at all. I don't want to exercise. You, you get what you get. Jesus sends them out. They obey, and they go where Jesus told them to go, but face the trial along the way. Will he leave them? Will he forsake them? Or will he walk through the water with them in the midst of their trial? He will walk through this storm with them, and he'll meet them in the middle of it. Sometimes when you are going through trials, we're like, where is he? I don't see. I don't hear. I don't, I don't know. But verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He meets them in the midst of the storm. He calls them and he says, it is I. In the original language, so this phrase, it is I, it, 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 it sounds and it actually is these two words. I, I am take heart, be encouraged. Why? I am. In John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, and here's the same exact word, I am. I am. That's who I am. It's not, hey, it's me, Jesus, I'm over here. It's, you know that voice that spoke out of the bush? To Moses, I am the one that fed the people bread in the wilderness, the I am, the one that led them through the sea on dry ground, the I am. He's the same I am that just fed the people in the wilderness. He's the same one that's walking on the water to you, I am. He's the same God. He provided bread for them, led them, and this led one commentator to say about this comparison between the Exodus and here, the Exodus of Israelites from Egypt was made possible through a miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and lay the miraculous provision of the manna. Thus, Jesus likely intended the miraculous crossing to be another reenactment of the amazing deeds of Yahweh, the great I Am, associated with the Exodus. Just connecting these two, the storm rages on, but the great I Am meets them in the middle of the storm, and he says, be encouraged. I am is here with you today. Christian, I am is here with you today. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. He is the great I am. 
And Peter, verse 28, says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. He said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Believe it or not, Peter's the first to speak. Is that surprising to you? Oh, Peter, here we go again. His request, ridiculous. Let me walk on the water to you. Jesus' answer is crazier. Come. What? Now, if you're with the disciples, you're in the boat, and Peter gets ready to step out of the boat, you're like, what is going on? Because the storm is still raging. It hasn't been quieted. Some crazy ghost is out there saying it's the great I am, and Peter's talking to it, and now he's getting out of the boat. I'm taking loony pills when I get home. Like, what is happening? And Peter gets out. He walks to Jesus. But the storm is still raging. Back in Matthew 8, 26, they've seen Jesus calm a storm. So why is the storm still going? Why? He still has something to teach. Peter makes it to him. And then we see in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So Peter walked to Christ, but once Peter was with Jesus, Peter's eyes fell to his circumstance. They fell off the Savior onto his circumstance. I mean, how many times in your life have your eyes drifted from the Savior to your circumstance? God forgive us. Peter's faith is sinking, and so is Peter, and yet he does the right thing. He does do the right thing now. He cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. He knows he's sinking. Lord, save me. Then Peter, then Jesus asks a hard question. Peter, why did you doubt me? Why? I am. Why did you doubt? They get back in the storm, and the storm is immediately gone. So when, when Jesus steps into the boat, it's like, on the Sea of Galilee. That, and the disciples are thinking what you and I are thinking. That that's, this is not normal. That's not. This is not normal. What is happening? We pick up verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. In Matthew 4, Satan, in the temptation, asked Jesus provocatively in this way, if you are the Son of God. In Matthew 8, demons cried out when Jesus was casting them out, quoting and claiming him to be the Son of God. But it wasn't until this storm and this trial that in Matthew 14, 33, for the first time, you hear the disciples describe, you are the Son of God. The trial had to come first. Out of all they've been through, it is now that it clicks. You are. You are I am. You are the one. He is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over our needs, like food. He's sovereign over creation. He's also sovereign over the physical. Look at verse 34, and when they crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and when the men of the place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might touch the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. Back in Matthew 9, 20, a woman found out that 
And she'd just reach out and just touch, touch the hem of his garment. Maybe she, she, she could be healed, and she was. And people are realizing that if you touch Christ by faith, you would be made well. Illness and disease are part of this fallen, broken, sin-cursed world. Christian, yet our Savior, the true King of Kings, has the ability to restore what has fallen, to fix what is broken, and to forgive what is sinful. This is the great I am. He's Lord over everything. And you, you walk away from Matthew 14, man, he is the supreme potentate. Absolutely. He is the king over everything, yet he still deems it necessary to spend time with his father. So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, have you received this compassionate king? He loves you. How do you know that God loves you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, he, he loves you. His compassion on the crowds. He loves you. Will you receive him today as your king? You can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Come to him, admit your need of him. Admit that you and I are sinners. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Call on his name and you will be saved. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, Jesus did come. We talked about this historically. We know he did come. He did rise. He did ascend on high and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. Come to this king, this compassionate king today. If you have questions how you can do that, say myself, see a Christian friend who came with. We'd love to walk you through that. For those that are here that claim to have received Jesus as their king, their king of kings and their lord of lords. Let me review with you three principles that we took away from the feeding of the 5,000, right? When the Lord is with us, we have all we need. Christian, do you believe that with Christ you have all you need? By faith, believe that. Next, Jesus will not ask us to do anything. He will not empower us to do. Is there something that you believe God would have you do, but you're not sure if you can do it? By faith, believe that he is with you and that he will empower you to do his will. Jesus will not give you more than you have, but he, will, he does ask us to give, us, give him his all, our all, sorry. Are there things that you're holding back from him? Christian, give him everything. Next, do you find it necessary to spend time alone in prayer with God? Is it necessary for you? It's just part of life. I cannot do without it. And maybe you, need, maybe you need to drive up on, get up on the mountaintop. Maybe you need to crawl away and get alone in the closet. But it's necessary. By faith, go to him. Are you willing to be used by God? Do you notice that Jesus didn't hand out one single piece of bread to the crowds? Who did he have do that? His disciples. He provided the miracle, but he used his disciples to minister. By faith, believe that God can use you. Lastly, will you join me in praising our great king? He's with us. Christian, the great I am is with us. He's here. He's all we need. He's compassionate towards us. 
He can use us. He wants us to be part of his plan. He's with us in the storm. Praise God for this King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are all that we need. We thank you that you are the great King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us then, Lord, to trust and believe that you are all we need. Help us to not have that little faith and to doubt. May our circumstances not draw our eyes away from our Savior. Lord, for those that are here that know you as Savior, Lord, help them to be encouraged with these words. For those that are here that do not know you, they've not yet received Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. May today be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.